This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. Now, my next guests are a global pop duo responsible for one of the most recognisable anthems of the 1990s. I'm too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. So sexy it hurts. Oh, wow. Yes, it was I'm So Sexy that propelled, right, said Fred, a.k.a. Richard and Fred Fairbrass, to stardom in 1991. And 20 years later, the brothers have 30 million record sales and 100 million Spotify streams to their name. And they've performed for the likes of Nelson Mandela and The Queen. Of course, they remain a force in the music scene after being sampled in recent years by the likes of Drake, Taylor Swift and most recently Beyonce. But over the past few years, it's become not all about the bangers, really, for the brothers. They've had a rebirth as prominent critics of freedom restricting COVID measures, attending lockdown protests, publicly stating their refusal to play venues that require vaccine passports and encouraging personal choice when it comes to getting the jab. Going from one of the world's top novelty acts to prominent freedom fighters, the brothers reveal all in their no-holds-barred autobiography, Still Too Sexy, Surviving. Right, said Fred, what a cover. And I'm delighted to say uh, the boys joined me live in the studio for their first interview since the book's release. So, so guys, I've read the book today, Still Too Sexy, and it covers your whole life. It charts your whole life, and obviously you're absolutely fascinating journey. But I really want to focus on the last couple of years because yeah. what you saw in the entertainment industry, right, was people just zip it. Yes. You know, they were not prepared to challenge the narrative. And you say that actually by speaking out and being open about uh, your opposition to many COVID policies, it's actually gained you more followers uh, in the UK than at any point in the past 20 years. So commercially, this has actually worked for you. Is that right? Well, it's... Uh, it's a, yes, it's, a, it's beginning it's to. It's a curious egg. It's a bit of, you know, yes. good and bad. Yeah, the first two years were... It was just tumbleweed across my laptop. <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody would speak to us. And then that's changed. In the last nine months, that's changed. So um, the first change was actually being approached to do the book, um, which was last year. And then in terms of gigs and stuff, we're now getting offers for next year. People who refused to speak to us last year now are speaking to us. And we've also gained a whole network of people who are very, very supportive from the, the position we decided to take. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You imply in the book that a lot of modern artists are bought in some way. Yes. Can you just explain what you mean by that? Well, I, th I think if you're if you're part of a machine of any kind, um, you have to watch what you say because yeah. there, you know there's sometimes there's a clause about bringing the machine, whatever the record company or the publisher, or whatever it is, into disrepute, which can actually mean anything. And there was a case some years ago where after 9/11, a, a, a boy band was on tour in Canada, and they asked the que they simply asked the question, "Why do they hate us so much?" That was the question, and they had to retract that and apologise. Yeah. Because their that. promoter said the gigs are off and this, mm. you apologise. So you've got to be... The reason we are irritating, I think, sometimes <laughs> is because <laughs> we're independent and we, yeah. we just say... So you answer to no-one? No, That's we right. don't. No, There's no-one no telling you, oh, I wish you hadn't tweeted that from your Fred's account, I, I wish you hadn't been so outspoken about lockdowns. No-one. No, we've never had that. No, I mean, we, no. We, get, we get guidance a little bit from our, um, our PR, Jenny Roberts. Yeah. Um, but she, she's very, very similar mindset to us. 
So yeah. it's just, it's more to do with, we don't really get told off. We just say, you know, we, we discuss what we may or may not tweet. And occasionally, you know, I've, I've learned not to tweet past wine time, you know, because <laughs> that, that's not always the brightest thing to do. Exactly. Um, so we've learned a couple of lessons over the last couple of years. But um, generally speaking, we, yeah, we just do, we kind of please ourselves, but we try not to be reckless and we try not to be irresponsible. Yeah. Some people would, would argue we have been. That's their opinion and not ours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But don't you think those people, because remember, I, I was in the same camp yes. and we were all derided, weren't yes, we? Yes, we were. Yeah. Called yes, we were. COVIDiots. Yeah. Uh, deniers, COVID deniers. I mean, I how bizarre. We've all had COVID. Yeah. What were we ever denying? I, I, I don't get that. Anti-vax. Yeah. That's another thing that's been thrown at yeah. all of us. Yeah. But, but don't you think now the narrative is finally shifting? Too late, it is but, but it is shifting. Yeah, yeah it, it, it is. We, we notice that from the mail we get um, on, um, on uh, the centre-right, so Fred, the sort of messages we get on Twitter, that, that shift has changed. There's still the bots out there, but overall the, the, the general narrative is shifting a little bit. Mm. It is, it's, it's, and generally the, the, the language is kinder and more tolerant than it well, was. Also, one thing we found when we, did, we went on, the, on, a few, sort of on the demos and stuff, one of the things about that is people who don't understand the demo thing thought that it was about changing official policy. It was never really about that for me. It was, it was, it was showing solidarity with people who felt the same. And I yes. remember talking to one elderly lady who was from Southampton, and she found going to the demos incredibly invigorating because she suddenly realised that she wasn't the only one who thought like she thought. Mm. And this, obviously that's going back about 18 months now, mm. so that situation's changed. But I think there was a misunderstanding. It's the same as you say, Dan, with the anti-vaxxer thing. That it's a, it's these expressions, rather like the term racist or homophobe, mm. they, these are thrown out far too casually. Yeah. And, uh, and we've, I'm, we've had more vaccinations than I care to think of. I just felt there was something, it's a bit like Neil Oliver said, it was just a gut feeling. It just didn't feel didn't right. Feel right no. Yeah, that's all it was. And you should, as an individual, you should better make that choice. Yep. And that doesn't feel right for me. I'm not well, doing it. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder, don't you sometimes, because I know I do, don't you sometimes feel depressed by the state of the entertainment industry? Because yes. the mm. whole point when I was growing up, and if you look back further to that, to the 60s and 70s, you know, musicians, artists are meant to be counterculture. Yes, yes. they are. And, and which high-profile musicians can you look at yeah. over the past two years and say, you challenged the narrative, yes. you spoke out against official dim, yeah. you challenged the government, virtually none. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I suppose you have to say Van Morrison, Eric Clapton. Yes, yeah. Uh, Heroes, yeah. you know, and there's... B there's Buster Rhymes. Yeah, Buster Rhymes, there's a few yeah. people, and yeah. Pit Pitbull, yeah. uh, there's and a few... Matt Howe. Yeah, uh, Hoy. Oh, yes, who of course boy, lost yeah, lost yeah. his job and you before. Yes. But, but the point is, we, we can count them probably on two hands. Yes, we can. Yes, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it is slim pickings. And um, the, the um, what, what I won't mention bands, but what was weird is that we were getting texts and messages from some band members saying, "Good, you know, well keep done, up. speak well out, done, you know. keep it out." And the very next week, they're playing a Vax only gig. Yeah, I'm going. What are you doing, man? I think that I, th I think the level of um, we under when, I was saying to Fred today, if you if you take your, your mind back to say three years ago and actually imagine in your head where we are now and the things that have changed since then. Yeah. The degree to which we've become frightened of each other, the degree to which we actually think words like quarantine have entered the... Yeah, lockdown. Lockdown, entered the national... Isn't it's normal. It, yes, like it's normal. And it's not normal. And no, it's, it's, it's just And we not, shouldn't just accept exactly. it. Exactly. No, I agree. Completely the other week agree. I was watching um, uh, a Black Sabbath concert from 1982 and it was one huge mosh pit. It was absolutely brilliant. And Ozzy was just... The band were yeah. kicking... I mean, really, really good. And, um, and I looked at it and thought, how would that happen now? 
Yeah. How would that happen mm. now? Because everybody's so afraid, afraid of each other. Yeah, they are. Um, which, is, which is a great tragedy. You know, uh, look, got to talk about the music, yeah. of course. Okay. Because these samples are keeping you right up the yes. charts. So, so you had Taylor Swift, Drake, and I believe the most recent is Beyonce yes. right, on, on her new album. So, so how does it work? Does Beyonce have to pick up the phone and, uh, and ask your permission, <laughs> or can she just do this and then pay you lots of money? What's the process? How does the it pro- the varies. Yeah, the process yeah. with Taylor Swift and Drake is they approached our publishers. They sent us demos uh, because these are co-writes. These aren't samples, these yep. are co-writes. And so that was all fine. The Beyonce, we, I didn't know about it until I saw it in the press. Really? So, <laughs> so I, I didn't know that was happening. And, and uh, maybe our publishers knew. I, I don't know what happened there because we weren't privy do to you like it. Do you like the song? It's all right. I, I'm not mad about that I one so much. I think Drake's was the best. Yeah, I really liked the Drake record. Yeah. I thought he did a really good version. Also, and, and I thought, I thought um, uh, Look What You Made Me Do was a good track also, as well. Can I quick, quickly say that? On, on the, on the Beyonce track, there are 22 writers. I mean, I mean, mm. how it takes 22 people to write a terrible track like that. <laughs> the only good part, the only good part of the Beyonce track is our part. The rest of it is rubbish. Okay, so so so, so you're not giving a ringing endorsement to the Beyonce track. But Drake, but, yeah, Drake was cool. But you still have to, like, she still has to pay you, right? You, oh, you, yes. you, you get the money from it, regardless. Yes. yes. Yeah, we won't. There are 22 writers on this, so we won't hold our breath. <laughs> you know, it might pay for the petrol home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, so good to speak to you. That was Richard and Fred Fairbrass, a.k.a. Right Said Fred. Here is the book, Still Too Sexy. And yes, they are. Thank you so much, guys. Great to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. A first look at tomorrow's newspaper front page is on the way shortly. But first, Neil Oliver is tonight's outsider. And some celebration today as America's lockdown architect, Dr. Anthony Fauci, announced he will step down as President Biden's chief medical advisor and the nation's top infectious disease expert in December. While the 81-year-old's departure is very welcome, he should have been made to resign long ago after his hysterical COVID restrictions delivered havoc on his country's health and economy. And Neil, in another brilliant and blistering monologue here on GB News on Saturday night, called for genuine consequences for the politicians and so-called experts whose policies route destruction all over our country. Sorry, won't cut it. It seems simple enough to me, but perhaps I should spell it out for the guilty parties. When you screw up this badly, it's time to get your coat and leave. Don't wait to be sacked, because that's clearly not going to happen within your working culture of noblesse oblige, of if you don't scratch out my eyes, I won't scratch out yours. Just finally, this late in the day, after having caused uncountable lifetimes of damage, hurt and heartbreak, find a shred of decency and take a walk. Neil Oliver, brilliant. Do you think maybe Anthony Fauci logged into YouTube because less than 48 hours he has taken a walk? But, but Neil, isn't the issue the fact that folk like him who have caused so much damage to societies are able to leave on their own terms? It doesn't feel just. Well, yes. I mean, in the case of Anthony Fauci at 81, um, you know, he, he, he must have been thinking about 
stepping away anyway, long, you know, perhaps long before he was engulfed in uh, in in the COVID debacle. Um, I think as I was the point I was making on Saturday night was. On the one hand, you might say that these people should be sacked, and you know, and they should, to be honest. But really, my 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 desired, preferred outcome would be that some of them would have the the, the self awareness to realise that they were out of their depths, and that decisions that they made and actions that they took were simply wrong. The fact that all of them are in place stubbornly in place and and already keen to move on sweeping debris under rugs as they go apart from anything else shows a glaring lack it's a lacking in their characters i would have wanted i would have hoped that people occupying such elevated positions would acknowledge when they have done extremely wrong, when they have extremely wrongly, you know, and made severe mistakes, and that they would have the self awareness to step away themselves. I suppose it's a fantasy, it's a wish list, but rather than having to be sacked, I would have hoped that people so far up the food chain would realise and walk away. You're right, and isn't it also about working out what happens in the future? Uh, the next time a virus is released from a lab in Wuhan or North Korea or God knows Russia, who knows uh, what country is next going to try and upset uh, the ecosystem of the Western world. And, and, and these folk, Neil, have to admit that they, they got this stuff wrong because otherwise we're going to head into this catastrophe again because lockdowns now at the top of the public health play, but when they were never there previously. You're exactly right, Dan. Implicit in their turning a blind eye to what they did in, in sweeping the wreckage under the carpet, it, it's it make implicit in that is that they would do it again. You, you know, we've, we've seen some of them already uh, when questioned. You know, the, some of the leadership candidates uh, not not uh, ruling out, not taking off the table uh, the possibility of doing it all again. That that's what's even more terrifying, really. That's what's even more galling, you know. Given that the lockdown, I mean, before we even get into vaccines, given that lockdown has undoubtedly, indisputably caused catastrophic damage, the consequences of which we will be dealing with, you know, long after you and I are gone, those accounts will be glowing red hot, uh, if those accounts are still open. And the, and the fact is that's demonstrable from, from what they're not saying is that they haven't learned anything. That if, they're, if they felt that their backs were against the same wall, they may well look to lock down again, to bring back masks, you know, just to go for COVID 2.0. That's what really alarms me. The fact that they're still there, that there have been no proper acknowledgements, far less apologies, suggests that all of the same tools are in the toolbox. And if they feel so minded, they will bring them all out again. And Neil, isn't it so sinister that you've got this massive excess death toll now? We can see it. You know, these are official ONS government statistics. And in the past, 
the likes of the BBC and Sly News and ITV News when it was COVID excess deaths, they were trumpeting these figures on a sometimes hourly basis to terrify the population. Now that these are excess deaths caused most likely, or at least the vast majority most likely, by the impact of lockdowns and by uh, adverse effects from vaccines, uh, they don't seem to want to talk about excess deaths anymore, Neil. It is extraordinary. I've I've seen I've seen reliable figures, you know, uh, quoted by uh, Dr. John Campbell, and he works from ONS Data, you know, going as high as in excess of one thousand four hundred excess deaths per week at the moment. Uh, you know, and and within that, there's the possibility that it's even higher on account of the way that that that, that data is is uh, is collected. That's an extraordinary figure: one thousand four hundred people yep. a week dying. You, you know, n not of COVID, but of goodness knows what else, you know, open brackets, what about the vaccines, close brackets. It's absolutely terrifying. And yes, as you rightly point out, the, the deafening silence from so much of the mainstream media, which, as you rightly point out, you know, couldn't report the, the, the so-called COVID deaths quickly enough. You know, they couldn't they couldn't find a point size big enough for their headlines when it was about COVID deaths. And this this unwillingness or this apparent inability to to see uh, the damage that is manifesting itself in the form of these excess deaths is truly terrifying and you have you have to wonder I, I rather than try to uh, make excuses for it all the time I try to apply or I, or I have to apply Occam's razor you know go for the simplest explanation they're, they're, they are de determinedly and deliberately not reporting it because it's not part of the the agenda and the narrative that they, that they were that they were looking to pursue and to report for so long and so they simply have to pretend that the elephant is not in the room that they can't see it uh, but there's there's no way they haven't seen it and there's no way that those same reporters don't know they just because it's too big the mistake is too big there's no way to to uh, if you admitted to it if you admitted to the mistakes made to all of those errors, you would have no you would have no alternative but to walk away. The only way these people, journalists included, can seek to stay in post is by pretending that none of it ever happened. You know, yeah. you know, it's like it's yeah. like it's like Bobby Ewing in the shower. They've just done away with all of those episodes from the season <laughs> yeah. just past. It never happened. None of that happened. Never happened. Here we, here we still are. Yeah. Well, we won't let them forget because this isn't a conspiracy. These are cold, hard statistics, and these folk were warned. Neil Oliver, fabulous stuff. Neil, back 6pm Saturday night here on GB News. Neil Oliver is coming up next, but it's time now for our positive professor, Carol Sikora. And while most of us are loving life without COVID restrictions, it's panic stations for the MSM and establishment as they launch another desperate attempt to regain control over our lives. First, it was announced by the NHS that Omicron-tailored booster jabs will be rolled out for over 50s from September. And never one to settle for obscurity, ex-Prime Minister Tony Blair made the ludicrous proposal last week that every adult be given another COVID vaccine. 
The left-wing media have also been piling on the pressure, with The Guardian propagating the views of doomsday scientists who say that we should ditch the COVID-is-over mindset to alarm people into getting their booster. Well, the ever-sensible Carol Sikora has offered up five reasons why the demand for boosters is severely mistaken. He says that, one, offering boosters are a waste of resources when clearing the NHS backlog should be the top priority. Two, vaccination does not reduce infection rate. Three, only those who are vulnerable require a booster. Four, there are serious adverse reactions to the vaccine, which, though rare, are still present. And five, and finally, Tony Blair's intrusion into COVID vaccines is nothing more than delusional self-importance. Carol, why on earth would Tony Blair recommend that every adult be given another COVID jab? I guess to get the publicity. Uh, it, it, it's just bizarre. I mean, two weeks ago, Dan, we had a woman on your programme, and she wasn't on your programme, we saw a clip of a psychologist that said, you know, we're going to have masks for the rest of till eternity. Uh, we're going to have social distance till eternity. So it's so easy to scare the public, and it attracts media attention. Uh, you know, none of both those both Tony Blair and the psychologist produced no evidence for what they were trying to do. And that's the key. We have to have evidence. You know, we've got very good evidence base in our NHS. There's an organization called NICE, National Institute of Clinical Excellence, analyzes data very you know, very thoroughly. And we see none of it with this. Just to come out, let's all have another booster for everybody is completely crazy. The virus has mutated. It is infectious still, but it's much less damaging. There are less than 300 people on ventilators now. At the peak, there was something like 10,000 people on ventilators. Uh, it's changed. And we, we're developing a, a herd immunity, that dreadful phrase that came out <laughs> at the beginning. What we don't need is Tony Blair coming out with his great ideas. I'd like to know who the immunologists and the vaccinologists and the, the infectious disease people that Tony Blair Foundation has consulted. This is just craziness to listen to this. And Carol, I, I would love to know if actually the vaccines and the addiction that the establishment have got to vaccines are actually potentially doing more harm than good to our health. Because New Zealand, currently in winter, I mentioned at the top of the show, that country is actually experiencing seven times more illness this winter. That's illness overall, all forms of illness, flu and colds and all of it, seven times more than in 2019. I know. It changed the whole dynamic of infection, minor infections, infections that don't kill, but they make people leave work, they stay at home, uh, so people lose uh, jobs. Uh, they also make people feel unwell. And, uh, you know, we're now a different society than we were in 2019. People are still scared, and that's the problem. And this sort of thing makes people even more scared. Now, there is a place for boosters, for those that are vulnerable, and uh, uh, people that are on cancer chemotherapy, people that are immunosuppressed and so on. That's completely correct. But to go around the whole of society insisting on it, and the next thing you know, you've got mandation coming, and mandatory vaccines. You know, I've just come back from Canada last night, and they're, they're still crazy there. You have to show your certificate in place, wear masks on planes and so on. Uh, and when you, you say, why are you still doing this? I mean, the infection rate in Canada is no different from here, yet 
people are stuck with it. It's a societal change that is very difficult to reverse. So the Tony Blair thing is just trying to impose a societal change on all of us without really any evidence for it. I know. And it's about the state wanting control. It's certainly not about our health. And Carol, I had to ask you because we were speaking about you at, at the top of the show. You were getting a lot of shout outs because, of course, the MSM finally starting to catch up and realise, oh, my God, these lockdowns are probably going to kill more folk than ever died from COVID. And of course, the people who they're killing, Carol, as you well know, much younger on the whole, much healthier people who had much longer to live. Uh, do you feel frustrated because, of course, you were telling everyone this uh, literally in March and April 2020? It's amazing to see what the mainstream media have done just in the last week or so. They've reported the data from Oxford, from Carl Hennigan's studies, showing that the death rate every week for the last 13 weeks is much higher than in the last five years. It's, we don't know why. It's almost certainly heart disease, stroke, diabetes, cancer, all coming through now. And it's going to go on. It's going to go on for probably several Oh, indeed. What a shame to have lost Carol. But you can't say he didn't warn them. Thank you, Carol. Dan Button here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Button tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News.